1: As the FIFA Women's World Cup gears up for an exciting final matchup, get the best coverage with Sports Like a Boss on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join three-time Olympian Holly McPeak and sports broadcaster Anne-Marie Anderson as they analyze the biggest stories and scandals with some amazing guests. Go for the gold and download new episodes of Sports Like a Boss every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One Sportsnet. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all for free. No credit card needed. No sign up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today. Hey, everyone. True Car has been a proud supporter of the PFF NFL show for years, and we want to partner with them to hear all about your True Car experience. And you may even get an Amazon gift card to kick off your summer. We want to hear all about your True Car shopping experience, so send us an email to TrueCar at onecom and tell us all about your shopping experience with True Car. The first 200 people to email will receive a $20 Amazon gift card. So you have to send in your email soon. We can't wait to hear from you. All right. Welcome into the PFF NFL show. I am back. Back from vacation. Sam Monson here. With Mike Renner, because Steve is now on vacation. Mm-hmm. We've, we've teamed this up nicely so that we don't abandon you entirely all at once. But, uh, yeah, I'm back for my couple of weeks, Mike. How are things in my absence?
2: Things are going well. There's no NFL news to speak of, though. Nothing. Yeah, I came We're back. Really, yeah, you came back, and I was like, what do we do? Uh, nothing's actually happened. Came it's back
1: lost. after two weeks out in the desert, and as far as I can tell, nothing has happened in the NFL landscape over those two weeks. Um
2: let's count 40 yards of gold. Yes. As being something that happened, which it did end yards. up happening. I'm not sure anyone watched <laughs>
1: it, but... Well, it was on pay-per-view. Um, the most interesting thing... So this whole thing started, if you don't know, because Ted Ginn, I don't even know where he was when he did this, but Ted Ginn basically challenged anybody to, mm-hmm. to race him for $10,000. He said he'd take on anybody for $10,000. Um, so they created this whole like, sprint bracket out of fast NFL guys um, to basically prove who the fastest guy in the NFL was. And Ted Ginn was in it. There was a whole bunch of other guys, Robbie Anderson, Marquise Goodwin. Um, Ted Ginn ended up not showing up to the thing, which I haven't seen the reason for that. But in what is probably not a surprise to anybody, Marquise Goodwin, the Olympic sprinter, uh, won. Yes, and the thing was how
2: ridiculously set up the the bracket was in terms of they didn't they needed like star power, so you get someone like Alan Kamara who runs in like the four fives to get in there, and it's like they probably paid him to get in there to like promote the event. But then it was absurd because he's not going to have a chance against guys like Marquis Goodwin, guys like you know actual track guys in college running, uh, you know who know how to start. And that was such a big thing of this. It's not. It wasn't just you get to do your own start and go. Yeah. It's a gun. It's basically a track event. I think going it was.
1: Um, they use blocks, right? I I don't think it was a like a forty, you know, like a combine yeah. style thing where you just line up in your stance and go. I think they use sprinter blocks because I think I think the times were like. You know, four ones. They, really? weren't, they weren't like, you know, four, three. I'll be honest. I didn't, uh, I didn't pay for the
2: event. So no, I haven't I seen watched, it. But uh, I, someone in the someone filming on their camera or yeah. on their phone.
1: Uh, I thought I saw it. I thought I saw the times that were listed <laughs> and they were, you know, four ones. And I'm going to assume that rather than people just breaking the record. There, yeah. People just becoming faster than anybody's ever run a combine 40. <laughs> they were using sprinter blocks to, or sprinter blocks to start. Um, yeah, so Kamara got smoked by Robbie Anderson, who then didn't take part any, yeah. anymore. Uh, what was maybe the most interesting one was uh, two guys. I think Dante Jackson mm-hmm. made the final and lost to Marquise Goodwin. Like Jackson's fast, I think we all knew that anyway. He was like what four three flat in mm-hmm. the combine, but to be able to give an Olympic sprinter a pretty good race over forty yards is kind of impressive. Um, and the other guy was John Franklin III, the former Auburn quarterback, now Chicago Bears quarter? Bears,
2: yeah, secondary defensive back
1: somewhere. Not probably not going to make roster. Right, he's fast. Yeah, like he <laughs> he only just lost out to Dante Jackson it was like zero point zero one seconds. Um, and he beat somebody else in his first first round thing,
2: which really makes you wonder, though, how bad did he have to be at throwing a football to not, yeah, you right. know, be able to see the field, uh, just with how electric you know he is athletically.
1: If I mean, he that's can throw it, at all. yeah. Also, is. the other guy that was worth mentioning is uh, Rashad Robinson, um, former 49ers cornerback. He starts like you do mm-hmm. uh, because his race was against John Franklin. I'm not good at starting no that's, that's not good yeah, yeah that's what we're trying to say. yes if you look at mike renner's 40 time not uh, on our Which youtube don't. video please don't it didn't go well for you mike uh, but it was all in your start like once you were going yeah. you know you were moving it's just that it, you lost mm-hmm. countless amounts of time in your start rashad robinson would have had the guy if it was like a 50 yard dash he a little too long, yeah. long for that start. But 40 yards, he gates. didn't start well, didn't start well, mm-hmm. which actually matches up quite well with his tape because it's all recovery speed. His recovery speed is absurd, but that's usually because he got smoked somewhere at the line, mm-hmm. which is not ideal. But a million dollars to the winner, Marquise Goodwin. Yeah. Congratulations. Where are they going to get that million dollars? From? I don't know where they got the million dollars from, but that's a pretty good deal for Marquise Goodwin. You show up as the guy that's the Olympic sprinter, Mm-hmm. what presumably should have been the prohibitive favorite. I don't actually know what the odds look like. Um, but, yeah, you you roll in there, you beat the guys you should have beaten, and you get out of there with a million At $40 million.
2: a pop, you need 25,000 people to have bought your pay-per-view. And I don't think I've even seen a clip of, like, an actual someone buying pay-per-view and then putting it on Twitter. Well,
1: like, that's assuming there's no cost associated as well. Yeah, so, plus, there's there were prize money for, like, second, you know, mm-hmm. b- winning the other rounds. So yeah, I don't know where they got the million dollars from. I'd like but. to
2: see instead of 40 yards goal with fastest do it with like offensive linemen or a different position <laughs> where we know the fastest guy like the fastest guys are never the best football players it seems like it seems like there are always track guys who get pushed into football because they're fast enough and don't have any sort of football skills. I want to see the guys who actually somehow have football skills at maybe a different position, like I said,
1: offensive well, line. So get that going. Chad Ochocinco slash Johnson slash whatever mm-hmm. he goes by these days, he was the the host of this thing, and he was saying, you know, next year it's going to be bigger and better. We can improve this, Mike. Not only do I like that idea, what I want to see happen is like they do in the combine with the, uh, the simulcasting where they give guys head starts. Oh yeah. So we'll get the offensive lineman in there, 30 yards. but we'll have them start at the 30 yeah. and see if, see if Marquise Goodwin can chase him down by the end of 40 yards. This is beautiful. You get a, each position group. Good you just hand. figure out yeah. what kind of head start they deserve. You know, yeah. offensive lineman quarterbacks, this is beautiful. I like this. This is good. That would be bigger and also probably better. I think it'd be more interesting. But yeah. Yeah. Marquise Goodwin chasing down, you know, Jason Kelsey mm-hmm. over his 30-yard dash. I think this is that, that's how this that's how this thing becomes huge next year. So yeah, that was the only thing that happened in the NFL yes, over the last that, 2 weeks. And that's hardly
2: cons- hardly it's more track event than football event to be
1: yes. honest. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you know it is June in the NFL. It's, everybody's on vacation. Nothing is happening. Um, but let's talk about something that you put up on the site, Mike. It's uh, underrated players, which yes. is always a good off-season topic. Great off-season topic. To hit on. And it's uh, something that we at PFF,
2: I feel like, have sort of tried to unearth. or been yeah. better at unearthing over the course of our uh, career, you know, over a decade plus of doing this because you'll see guys who – You know, consistently grade well, or if up and coming guys who have graded well and just haven't gotten their dues, that sort of thing, uh, I think we're good at identifying those players, cutting through the BS and the hype.
1: Yeah, it's it's the beauty of the system, right? Mm -hmm. Once you're actually recording and, and taking down everything, every play on every, or action on every single play, you get a better idea of being able to quantify guys as opposed to just sort of working from. You know box score numbers or highlight reels, or just what you remember from the game when you start quantifying it all, you start to be able to point to these guys that don't necessarily have the highlight plays or don't necessarily have the stats but are playing at as high a level as some of the people that do mm-hmm. so who do you want to hit um who do you want to talk about from your your list
2: well, let's just go position by position and kind okay. of throw through. Uh, who I put, and then who else we know we else think is up there as well. All right, the quarterback
1: is interesting because it, a it's a position that everybody you know feels to have a great handle yeah. on anyway, but also because the player that you've gone for, I think, is one of the more polarizing yes. quarterbacks in the NFL. You've gone with Russell Wilson,
2: yes, Seahawks, and it's. I think it's because of what gets underrated about him is the way his legs impact opposing defenses. Why everyone points to, oh, they run the ball so much over the course of his career. They've always had a great defense, great running game, but they don't realize that he has been a massive, massive uh, driver in the fact that they have a great running game. They used option runs more than any other team in the NFL last year. The Seahawks did. That is why they had... One of the best run games in the NFL. That's why they average 4.8 yards per carry. Is because on option runs they average 4.8 yards per carry. On all other run concepts they average 4.3 yards per carry. And then his scrambling brought up their yards per carry as a team as well. So he is a big driver in that. And oh yeah, when he does pass, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL, even though he doesn't pass a lot.
1: Right. And the the thing that's different about him when it comes to what what he does on in the on the ground um, in the run game is he's able to do it essentially without exposing himself to hits. Yes. Like it's not – so the, the biggest concern for decades with quarterbacks and why the NFL always stayed away from those college-style option quarterbacks is, well, you can't expose your quarterback to those kind of hits because mm-hmm. they're going to get hurt, and then you're screwed because you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't matter anymore. So then you, the NFL started to go away from that, and you started to go, well, okay, it's worth the risk now. Um, so you get Cam Newton's, so you get Lamar Jackson's, so you get you know, even a Carson Wentz, you get these guys that are so dangerous with their legs and so dynamic as athletes that it's worth um, risking them to to take advantage of what they can do. But almost all of those guys take hits and they become they get exposed to injury mm-hmm. because of it. Cam Newton in particular, even though he's huge and, you know, a monster in the run game, it's breaking him down. But Russell Wilson is able to do that, and he may be the best quarterback in all of football at avoiding taking hits. He will get what's there, and then he'll hit the ground. And that is a big part of
2: so certain option runs with the quarterback, just the normal read option. You are out. In space, and sort of you can see the hit coming and then protect yourself. You can slide, get down, that sort of thing. A lot of stuff to do with Cam Newton, they're running him between the tackles, right. using him as a battering ram. You're not as protected there. That's yeah. a little different than how they use Russell Wilson, but that is a big thing to it. You're not, when you are in the pocket, stepping up into throws a lot of times. Some of those pocket passers are going to be more injury prone because you're not being able to protect yourself. Wilson moves like a running back, has the speed of a running back, so he can. Uh, When he gets out into space, protect himself and get himself into favorable situations where he's not taking the big shots. And he has, I mean, has been the pinnacle of health
1: over the course of his career. Yeah, it's definitely not, you know, like for like comparing him with Cam Newton Mm -hmm. and what what Cam Newton is asked to do by the Panthers. But Wilson is also exceptionally good at understanding. He's got a really good feel for when I can make a guy miss versus when I'm going to get hit. I need Mm -hmm. need to hit the ground. So, you know, he'll see him duke guys out of their shoes Whereas, yeah, it's a one on one shot. The guy's got a pretty good chance of making a hit on him, but he knows I can make this guy miss versus, no, this one's actually going to make a hit. I got I to gotta hit the ground.
2: Yeah, definitely something for Kyler Murray to be watching. Wilson's tape on how to protect yeah. himself there because they're very similar athletes in that regard.
1: Um, and he's also one of the more fascinating quarterbacks because, kind of like Aaron Rodgers, you have this thing anybody that does things in a different way to everybody else, you know, a, a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning it's pretty easy to see the dynamic at work. They stay in the pocket. They don't do an awful lot. You don't, there's not that much to work with. It's just mm-hmm. sort of how much pressure is coming versus what you could do to mitigate it. But with an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson, they play the game in a slightly different way that changes how all of that stuff works. So for years, you've had this idea of the Seahawks' offensive line has been terrible, puts Russell Wilson under a ton of pressure, but then Wilson also causes a lot of that pressure himself. Yes. And I think because he is a short quarterback, he will deliberately start to move around back there to essentially manufacture himself some, some windows, windows, some yeah. throwing lanes to be able to see downfield. And you get these situations where it would be a clean pocket, but he wants to start shifting people around, starts to run around, find some space back there, and then ultimately makes a, a you know, pass off the back of that vision. But anybody that I think has that, different dynamic at work it causes sort of it, it, it polarizes people right because some people are going to see that as a bad thing some people are going to see it as a good thing um, and it's just this interesting discussion point with him versus other quarterbacks
2: yeah it very much goes back to that uh you know, the, what it, if you guys have ever read Andy Benoit, his sort of dichotomy or his uh, contradiction that he was having to face with Russell Wilson, why he was so down on Russell Wilson, Somebody he was like, oh, if I'm a defense coordinator, I would hate to face Russell Wilson because there's no game plan for some of the stuff yeah. that he does. I, I think that's where offensive coordinators and a lot of times quarterbacks like him get uh, have gotten pushed on boards in the past, I think are coming around to that style of quarterback is that because they can't control that. You want as an office coordinator, you want to be able to control You want them to go to A to B run their offense. Russell Wilson, uh, that's not going to be him, but you live with it because he's so darn good at making plays. And I mean, it's just been so consistent over the course of his career, his grading profile, uh, that at this point, if you're still not on board with Russell Wilson being one of those, you know, six to eight quarterbacks that legitimately will give you a good offense every single year, no matter what's around him, uh, you're never going to be on board with that.
1: He's also got a pretty spectacular deep ball. Mm-hmm. He's got that kind of Dante Culpepper style of pass where it just drops in yeah, the rainbow drops into the bucket at the end of it all. Um, to Tyler Lockett. He's got this stable of receivers typically. They're not mm-hmm. they're not the sort of six foot five guys that are winning jump balls, they're just catching these mm-hmm. beautiful rainbow targets deep down the field. What else we got? We got running back, James White, the Patriots. James White. And so this one, the
2: Patriots get like the running backs for the Patriots get sort of Uh, every year it's oh it's their interchangeable the Patriots running backs they're just a cog in the system and to some degree that's running backs just as a whole but James White there's a reason why he's you know been there for uh, five plus years now almost six this will be his sixth year in the NFL and they haven't signed through 2021 is because his receiving ability what that brings to the table uh, is just changes uh, how opposing defenses what they can do to opposing defenses They can go from this big, heavy formation with two tight ends, a fullback, and James White to then five guys spread out wide the very next play in a no-huddle offense and just create mismatches. 87 catches last year 751 yards he's you know half wide receiver half running back and i think that's where guys can really bring value to the table at running back everyone looks at him as this replaceable sort of cog in the system no he can run legitimate wide receiver routes and actually catch passes out of the backfield at a high level
1: i think any patriots running back is probably going to end up being underrated because because of the way the patriots do <laughs> that you know um they sort of break down the backfield by roles you yes. know i need a receiving back i need a power back i need you know they have all those different types of running backs and they sort of split up the time between them depending on what the game plan is consequently it's like well this guy can only do that mm-hmm. whereas james white can run the ball he can run the ball between the tackles he can run wide he can re- catch it out of the backfield he is a really good running back but people see him as just a receiving back there in new england whereas mm-hmm. someone else whereas like work.
2: just a receiving back is also Right. It's also want. the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, yeah, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. I think James White, we've seen mm-hmm. before in big games that he is a really talented player. And the guy they lean on at times, you know, Super Bowls. Exactly. He's been the guy that's carried in that team at times. Uh, what about wide receiver? Tyler Lockett, the, uh, the recipient yes. of the, the Russell Wilson So Raybos. for a
2: similar reason in that they just they don't pass in Seattle. Obviously, in the uh, Brian Schottenheimer offense, they have been the most run-heavy team in the NFL but Tyler Lockett, uh, on a per you know snap basis, on an efficiency basis uh, far more efficient than a lot of other receivers, a lot of other bigger names around the NFL. Even though he didn't have a thousand yards, had a perfect passer rating when targeted this past season, and averaged more yards per route than Adam Thielen, Juju Smith Smith Schuster (mouthful), Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, Antonio Brown, Stephon Diggs. A lot of bigger names. He was more efficient on a per play basis. Uh, top five last year in deep yard, deep receiving yardage. There's one of the best route runners in the NFL. Uh, Tyler Lockett. If he was in an offense like Pittsburgh, uh, you know, like a high volume offense like the Packers, even he would be a lot bigger of a name.
1: Tyler Lockett is one of those players that I regret so much that we just didn't have the confidence to really get out to really push him that mm-hmm. first year. It was the very first year we'd done college grading. Tyler Lockett's grading was every bit as good as Amari Cooper's. Yes. Um, Really, those those are the two guys that had the best grades. It was Amari Cooper and Tyler Lockett. And Lockett's problem was just size. He was like 5'10", 175, Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. Tiny guy. And you watch the tape, and it didn't matter. He was making contested catches. He was winning jump balls. He was getting wide open, which is, you know, the thing that is most important these days. Mm -hmm. Him and Amari Cooper were the two guys that did that the best. And it looked like this stacked wide receiver class. You had Cooper. You had Kevin White. Um, you had Doriel Green Beckham. You had uh, Funches, You had all these big receivers, um, even guys like Nelson Aguilar, significantly bigger. You had this what looked like a loaded first round of wide receiver talent. And then you had Tyler Lockett, whose grades said he should be yeah. a first rounder along with them. And I think because he was just so small, we kind of shied away a little bit. And also
2: right? in an offense that really does not produce a lot of passing. It is a run-heavy offense there at Kansas State, has been uh, for years, never really produced any high-volume wide receivers, and he produced a ton in that yeah. offense still.
1: So he's really he's been the same guy, essentially, in the <laughs> NFL as he was in college. And the grading pointed us in that direction. We just didn't quite have the confidence to, to push it the way we should have. If, I, if we had that time to do over again, I would love to – to be out there saying mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett is right up there with Amari Cooper is you know the best well, wide receiver. In the obviously, spots. yeah. But it's one of my lasting regrets, Mike. <sighs> that, that's uh, a uh, uh, we have a lot of those. Hopefully, not as many going <laughs> forward, though. In the yeah, draft. <laughs> <It's>, I mean, <laughs> now that I, you know, it was year one of the system. That is true. We didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the first year we had NFL or PFF grades on these NFL prospects. We didn't know how much stock to put in that. This guy's got a fantastic grade, but you know we know that we know the physical ability and size and speed and all that kind of stuff. It matters to some degree. We just didn't know how much um, and where to put that. So it was all a learning experience. What about tight end? We got one more offensive weapon, Gerald Everett.
2: Gerald Everett, Los Angeles Rams tight end. Get to know the name. Perfect for that Sean McVay offense in that they don't use the tight ends a lot to block inline. He's more of an H-back, 6'2", 240-ish range. Uh, And they use him to come across the formation and basically cut the backside end uh, a ton he can do that, does that very well. Is a very willing blocker in that regard, willing blocker out in space. And then after the catch is where he actually separates himself. Uh, five broken tackles this year and only 33 catches. One of the best broken tackle rates. Uh, among all tight ends, actually trailed only George Kittle, Vance McDonald, and Javid Njoku last year. Uh, so he's great after the catch good hands, only played 503 snaps, so his raw totals aren't going to look great, but with more volume in that offense, I think Gerald Everett is a name to know going forward.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love to see him with a kind of massively expanded role in that system and see what he can do with a sort Mm -hmm. of full-time workload, um, particularly as that offense develops this year because it's going to need to create some additional wrinkles, going to need to find a plan B after last year. I think that's the big thing for that system generally is we started to see last year that You know, there have been systems in the NFL before that have come in, taken the league by storm year one, Mm -hmm. and then stalled because they didn't change, right? It was this is the system, and eventually NFL teams figure it out. And Mm -hmm. once they take away plan A, you need to either evolve or you need to have a suitable plan B to take advantage of what they're trying to take away. So I think last year we started to see towards the end teams start to take away what it is the Rams want to do, and plan B. It never never really looked like it existed, let alone was effective. So I think this is a big year. And obviously, Mm -hmm. plan A was so devastating that everybody goes out and hires a Sean McVay disciple. Now half the league is stuck with this offense. If it... Doesn't have Plan B, or if they're not able to evolve it, like half <laughs> the league just made a pretty bad decision.
2: I, I don't. I think there is still it is sound offensive principles the way they go about calling a game uh, in terms of you know, the bunch of formations, the outside zone heavy and the play action heavy yeah. scheme. Those things are sound principles that are going to work everywhere. Uh, now, uh, I think there are things you can do to counteract a lot of things you do in the past game with those tight splits, with uh, you know trips and bunch formations. But a lot of it still will just work and is good sound football, and that's why it's trending that way. That's why you see the prolif- proliferation of their offensive minds and their for- offensive guys who know that
1: system. Your offensive line um, has a player in it that I, I'm a huge fan of this selection because we did uh, we took over Peter King's mm-hmm. Football Morning in America. Um, my section was writing about guys um, that either could be um, on our PFF 50 list or will be higher, and David Bakhtiari made our or David Bakhtiari featured in our 10 things I think at the end. Um, And I think I labeled him as the most underrated player in all of football.
2: You did, in
1: fact. Yeah, because if you I one of the things I pulled out was using, um, I think, the last three years or the last five years of of pass blocking grading for offensive linemen. And he was number one by a distance. Right. Mm -hmm. He was way out at the top. But number two was Joe Thomas. So everyone, Joe Thomas has been the gold standard of pass-blocking left tackles basically since mm-hmm. he's entered the league right up until his retirement. But actually, over the past couple of years, Bactiari had kind of overtaken him anyway. Uh, you know, even before Thomas was forced to retire, Bactiari had become that standard, probably doesn't get the recognition because, you know, he wasn't the first-round uh, yeah. stud you know, prospect from get-go. And,
2: and even... St- like, even not being a first rounder, even just the way he looked, he doesn't and he's not physically dominant. You know, he's six four. He's three hundred pounds. He's barely uh he doesn't look like Tyron Smith. He doesn't have these right. ridiculously long arms, he doesn't look like Joe Thomas, he's not enormous. Uh he's just an average looking offensive lineman who does not lose in pass blocking, just rarely, if ever, loses throughout the course of games, and like you said, has been the best over the last four years. Uh and the craziest thing to me is so he has he was the first-team All-Pro this past year. So he's not underrated right. by everyone and has had two second-team All-Pros, but has never been to a Pro Bowl, yeah. which shows you kind of the ridiculousness of uh, both those systems.
1: Well, yeah, the ridiculousness of the system and also who he's underrated by. Yes. You know, like the All-Pro recognizes is, yeah. that this is a really good player. It's also possible to be a Pro Bowl or an All-Pro and still be underrated. You know, mm-hmm. like he's, his grading right now is suggesting that he's on track for a Joe Thomas-style career, at least when it comes to pass protection. Mm -hmm. And that's Hall of Fame level. And I don't think, even with all pros to his name, nobody is currently thinking of David Bakhtiari as a future Hall of Famer.
2: Yeah, I was actually for, we'll get to interior defensive line a little later, but I was debating Fletcher Cox for that one as being underrated because I don't think people realize the difference between well, one, Aaron Donald's out in his own right. sort of stratosphere is why he gets is why Fletcher Cox gets underrated because yeah. if Aaron Donald then exists, people will be talking about Fletcher Cox kind of the way we talk about Aaron Donald in that he's just in his own stratosphere, playing uh, on the interior defensive lines way better than any other defense tackle in the NFL.
1: There might Not be, yeah, there might be few things more frustrating to a person than being clearly the second best person, <laughs> like in your era. Yeah. yeah I, I've seen it like across sports. To be fair, I'd take that, but oh, yeah, uh, it's it be better than just, you know, being bad. But it must drive you nuts. Like you know, mm-hmm. people forget that how good Dante Culpepper's 2004 season was because it happened at the same time as the yes. be, you know the, arguably the best Paid. season of Peyton Manning's career. <clears throat> so you don't even it's like it didn't exist, it didn't exist. exactly. Um, and the one that always that I always come back to with this stuff is you know anything about uh, motorcycle racing, Mike? God, I do not. It's a guy called Valentino Rossi who's okay. basically the the goat, the mm-hmm. greatest of all time. Incredible. He's had this, like, 20-year career from, like, teenager to, like, 40s. But for a spell, like, a regular period of his career, there was a guy called Max Biaggi who was clearly the second best rider uh, the entire time, right? Mm-hmm. He'd been the best all the way through the sort of the, the setups, like the the lower sequences, the leagues, got to the, the top. Then Rossi came along. And it's like, now you're just worse like, than him. Yeah. But he would spend every race, and it was Rossi almost – like toyed with him mm-hmm. so he would be like second he would trail him behind for like 25 laps and then the last lap just and overtake just... him and win and you could tell that it like gnawed at Biaggi's very existence to be like i there's nothing i can do this guy is just better than i am and yet i am better than everybody else in the world mm-hmm. that's fletcher cox yeah like he is better than any other defensive interior lineman in the nfl but you will never in, get yeah that. you're not in aaron Donald's stratosphere and there's nothing you can do to get there because He's so far off the end compared to mm-hmm. everybody else. But, yeah, so it's, it's a great point that that Fletcher Cox gets completely screwed by that. Even though he's recognized as being, mm-hmm. you know, pro-bowl, all-pro dominant player, people don't appreciate how good. Well, that's what makes these lists
2: tough to sort of assemble. It's like, we, you, know, we get a lot, you get a lot of blowback. Oh, he's not underrated. He's X. It's like, underrated is kind of, it's a, relative. It's a very relative term, and it's what you're comparing the rating system who's rating them that we're comparing it to one guy i want to touch on
1: that i really like that you've highlighted is olivier vernon who kind of the same story right he's he's rated by some the the perception how quickly
2: it went back and forth on him it went from oh this breakout year in miami he's the top edge on the market and then he gets fastly overpaid he was never going to live up to that you know five-year 85 million dollar contract And then once he doesn't live up to it, oh, he's a bum. No, he was actually playing pretty well, had some injuries uh, this past season, and still played when he got on the field at an extremely high level. Uh, Will be a massive, massive upgrade for the Cleveland Browns this year. But he just wasn't worth 5 year -year dollars.
1: There's two things, I think, that really work against people in terms of their perception. It's what the contract you got handed was Mm -hmm. and where you were drafted. So if you're drafted and you don't become the sort of perennial yes. all-pro yes. that people expected you to become, mm-hmm. if you're just a good player, you'll be seen as a bust. You know, yeah. like even though you're... So you can get massively underrated by the fact that people think you suck, and you don't, you're just not, you know, the future Hall mm-hmm. of Famer that everybody thought you were going to be. And then the other one is the Olivier Vernons, the, the Endamekin Suze. If you get a monster free agent contract that you just never had a shot of living up to... You're going to be seen as a bum, even though you're actually a really good player. You're just potentially not justifying that contract.
2: Yeah, like Eric Fisher just never should have gone number one overall. Yeah. Like he was, if you drafted him 25th overall, you would have been be like, ecstatic. that's an awesome. Like that gets, that gets, you know, that was a good pick. Yeah. And he was, he's a solid left tackle in the NFL. If you draft that 25th overall, it's a good pick. Drafting at number one overall, expectation is going to be different.
1: The other point you made, I think, originally about Olivier Vernon is that he may have had the hardest job of any pass rusher in football at that division, yeah. going up against NFC East left oh, yeah. tackles for the last. Trent Williams, Tyron Smith, right, and uh, Jason Peters. I mean, you're dealing with three of the best five left tackles in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Counts for six of your games.
2: Yeah, I mean, compare that to. Uh, a lot of other divisions around the nfl and you're not going to get anywhere near that sort of uh, difficulty there are pass rushes that
1: won't face an all-pro tackle of that caliber all season and vernon's doing it six games Mm -hmm. a year so yeah that that alone should account for a pretty big bump in his production this year going to cleveland Mm -hmm. where he's going to be going up against afc north right tackles as opposed to NFC East left tackles yes um, so yeah I'm a big fan of that pick who's your uh, who's the other guy you wanted to highlight on the defensive line
2: uh I think David Anyamante. now he just got suspended for a game for marijuana possession but if you look at the numbers on him uh it's pretty staggering how good he's been for the Saints this past season from week five on he had an 89.1 overall grade and the crazy thing about him is just how uh much better he's gotten year on year Every single year, went from a 57.2 grade as a rookie, 71.6 in year two, 81.2 this past season, came out of University of Manitoba, uh, you know, back all the way back in 2016. Powerhouse. Uh, Only 26 years old. I think there's a good reason to think of he could join that sort of... Second tier that, uh, you know, Kwan Short, uh, Mike Daniels, the Keem Hicks of defensive tackles that are very, very good, very, very impactful. And that'll be huge for the New Orleans Saints here down the stretch. Could be the makings of one of the best defense lines in
1: the NFL. Nice. Um, let's hit one more player on this, and then we'll jump to some college stuff. Cause, yes. Because I know you're the college guy now, Mike. Mm. Uh, cornerback, you've gone with Darius Lay. Um, corner is fascinating because there's no – you know, Darrell Rivas anymore. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of weird landscape where I don't know that. And even like uh, Sherman
2: was probably like the guy for a while yeah. has definitely taken a slip and play Patrick Pearson. They played a lot of zone last year, did not suit him to his best to have his best, you know, sort of season. So it's kind of up for grabs. Yeah. The sort of title at that position.
1: And I think there's so many different ways of kind of looking at it, like what you want the corner to do a, you know, scheme, vary so wildly whether you're playing a zone heavy system or a man heavy system. But B, you know, what, what do you value as more important? Sort of limiting the amount of catches a guy has, the plays on the ball, do you want your guy um getting interceptions, pass breakups, all that kind of stuff? So there's a ton of different ways you can look at cornerback to kind of decide how well people are playing. But give me the case for, for Darius Lay. Two
2: big things, uh, one is just he 's been incredibly consistent uh, over the past four seasons, never been below seventy seven point zero overall grade, so I think four straight years he 's been uh, that 's top, top twenty five ish top twenty twenty five level of play at the cornerback position, and we
1: see consistent
2: yeah, which yeah. we see is like Uh, rarely, uh, if you're not one of the top three to five cornerbacks in the NFL, it's rare that you don't have a down year at the cornerback position just because it's so tough to guard NFL receivers. You're going to get beat a handful of times deep and all that, you know, get beat four times deep in a season. That's all of a sudden a bad season. That's how fickle the cornerback position is. Uh, over that four year span, 90.5 overall coverage grade over that span. Uh, and so I just don't think his name gets tossed around in terms of the top 10 cornerbacks in the NFL, but he does all that and he tracks number one wide receivers. Did it, I think, uh, 10 times this past season, had games where he tracked number one wide receivers. So tracking number ones has all that, uh, all the stats to go along with it. I think his name deserves to be mentioned in that sort of top 10. Now, I'm not putting him uh, as the number one cornerback in the NFL, I'm not saying that at all, but I think he just gets underrated because. Lions defense kind of stinks, but he's been sort of carrying them uh, with a on a bad defense for years now.
1: And another guy who's now got a pretty tough job in that division. Because yes. you're going up against Vikings receivers. You're going up against Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams. Um, and Devontae Allen Adams,
2: Robinson. really. like That's when, last year, when I really knew Devontae Adams was uh, going to have a breakout year because he made Darius Slay look awful. And yeah. no one has made Darius Slay kind of look like that over the course of his career.
1: So let's, let's pivot from NFL cornerbacks to college cornerbacks. Yes. you're... You're now PFFs. What's your title? Like Your official? Uh, Lead draft analyst. Lead draft analyst. So Mike is like 24-7 draft. You're Mm. diving into all the college prospects constantly. You're the guy that actually knows who the hell these people are before we roll around the draft season as opposed to me, who will roll into draft season and then try and figure out who they are. So who should we be paying attention to with the cornerbacks?
2: Top of the class, three names I'll give you that I think I feel comfortable throwing first round sort of mix right at the moment Bryce Hall out of Virginia I think if he came out this past year would have been the first cornerback taken because he has the size the speed he has all the measurables has the ball production uh, he had the high the second highest coverage grade in all of college football last year uh, as the highest coverage grade of anyone in this class over the past two seasons uh, ton of ball production and he has just absurdly long wingspan when you look at him he just envelops wide receivers at the line of scrimmage going to be a press cover the cover cover three seattle cover three teams are gonna fall in love with this guy probably gonna have a top 10 grade on him coming out because of what he can do in terms of just shutting down one side of the field if he's playing in a silo he is so good at that he's not gonna be your move him around follow wide receivers to the slot sort of guy but if you run one of those schemes you run a man-heavy scheme he's gonna be your guy he has all those sort of traits uh I can't believe he didn't come out, to be honest. With uh, with the tape we saw from him last right. year, I'm just very surprised. Uh, definitely in the mix there for the first corner off the board.
1: Okay, I like it. Who else we got?
2: Christian Fulton out of LSU. For my money, after having watched both of them, the better LSU mm-hmm. cornerback last year. He played better Thank last he. year than Greedy Williams. Uh, I think he's just a smoother athlete. Or Not even, I think. He is a smoother athlete than Greedy Williams. Is a more scheme-diverse cornerback than Greedy was, for sure. Uh, just in hip pockets down the field again and again. Uh, I think he has a very good chance to leap Bryce Hall and be the first cornerback off the board. I think he's that talented. Now, he probably didn't come out because he got suspended for two years for uh, cheating on a drug test. And so it ended up getting chopped down to one year. And so this was actually really last year was only his first year really playing college football. And so... Uh, I think he had one more year to sort yeah. of get that way Just in the rear of little bit, And now he'll mind. be, yeah, if he gets two years on tape of high-level production, I could see him going. In the top 10, the last guy, also in the SEC, C.J. Henderson. He's not quite as athletically gifted as maybe Hall or Fulton are, but he is so patient. He rarely gives up anything down this field despite uh, a lack of probably high-end athleticism. Uh, I love his feet at the line of scrimmage and breaking on passes. Uh, so good at that. I think he's firmly in the first-round mix as well. Those three are the guys I feel comfortable at the top of this class.
1: Nice. The, the Fulton thing is interesting because it's one thing to be sort of better than a teammate that came out a year ago. But when that guy was a first-round pick, you know, when that guy's a high-level draft pick, um, Should have been first. round. Should have been first round. First round talent. Yes. Um, when no. Yeah. You know when a when a guy is that good that you're mm-hmm. supposedly better than it puts you in a pretty pretty rare air. It doesn't necessarily mean it will translate because you know either the first round talent like greedy slips mm-hmm. further down the draft or the draft that you come out in is better or worse. So it's not always like for like, but it kind of it puts you in some very rare air right off the right off.
2: The yeah, bat. I remember we were doing. Steve and I were doing uh, something about cornerbacks last year. Uh, and this was after the deadline for people having declared and i just had assumed that fulton was going to declare with how good i you know i'd watch his tape and i was like okay i assume he's just going to be in this draft with how good well he played uh no he came back so that's uh why cms top his class there's a few guys though that have also been getting hype who i just need to see more from at this point uh one shaheem carter out of alabama big reason why is because he's playing that slot safety hybrid role in alabama's right. defense he's not playing on the outside uh, anytime you're in that you're probably projecting more to slot this or to the, safety make the it fitzpatrick, yeah, role. fitzpatrick role you're probably projecting more to safety at the next level and so unless he kicks out to boundary you know to the edge cornerback position you're just gonna have a tough time it's such a different role uh that i'm gonna have a tough time projecting you there but i liked a lot of roam i don't see necessarily a fantastic athlete. Uh, I think he might actually be better at safety. So that's probably where I'd evaluate him at this point. But a lot of people have him at corner. And then Paulson, uh, Debo out of Stanford. uh, He's just, I don't think he has the top end speed to hold up at corner back position in the NFL. But similar to Bryce Hall in that he's extremely physical, extremely long. Tack comes up, wants to hit. So maybe more zone heavy teams, cover two teams or... Uh, that sort of thing would covet uh, Debo's skill set.
1: The the Carter thing is interesting because it feels like the NFL should start trending towards essentially adopting that position yes, anyway. Yes, that should be a position. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, we've done, the, the George and Eric and, and the Forecast guys have done research on this idea that players that have experience covering the slot are mm-hmm. the ones that translate They'll better want. to covering the slot in the NFL. You know, mm-hmm. you're better off getting a guy that's good covering the slot in college than just assuming somebody who played outside or safety or something in, in college yes. can immediately move to the slot and be good mm-hmm. because it's a you know it's obviously a different position um, and, and
2: it is like it is so different in terms of what uh, you want to covet at that so uh, outside cornerback speed is so much so so important in terms of yeah. If you just lose a step to a fast wide receiver on the outside, you can't regain that speed step. Speed and length. Yeah, and you, you're not facing, if you're facing a slot uh, slot go route, basically a seam route, you're probably not having to carry that if you're the slot cornerback. You're probably right. passing it off Most to safe safety. Time, you're, yeah. you're not that speed that you know being able to turn and run is not going to be as important. You just have to be able to react, pass off routes. That stuff is more important. So uh, it really is two different sort of skill sets. And if you're already good at one, probably just keep him there.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It's 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 two completely different positions. And if anything, it's becoming more different as the league yeah. sort of trends in this direction. And,
2: and also, you, you don't need guys to do both. You can right. keep a guy there all game long and not ask him to do anything else.
1: Yeah. So now it. it it feels like those guys, instead of you know looking at them and saying, "Well, I don't know if I can project him to the outside or if he needs to move to safety," mm-hmm. like we, the league probably starts need, start needs to start sorry needs to start um, sort of valuing that just, as a highly coveted yes. position in and of itself, not just where you get guys mm-hmm. later on and fill that spot. It's like, no, if this guy is a first round talent doing this, mm-hmm. let's not let's not project that to a different position let's leave that as a first-round talent as a dedicated sort of slot safety hybrid.
2: Yeah, and I think we've seen uh, Justin Coleman, Taven Young, right. get real contracts playing a role.
1: Yeah, the, the, so free agency is kind of getting there. You yeah. know, these guys are now getting paid significant mm-hmm. money. I think it's time for the draft to kind of catch up. And all too often, if you see a guy like that, it's, well, how does Minka, does Minka Fitzpatrick, is he a first-round safety or a first-round corner. corner? It's like, it's like well, or, or is he like a first-round thing that he already player. is, yeah. you know? exactly. So that, those guys are interesting to see if the league is going to start sort of coveting that as a first-round prospect in and of itself without trying to project them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, who else do you want to talk about? All
2: right, I got a few breakout candidates for you at the cornerback position, guys who I like a lot, and I think if they – you know, there's some stuff on tape I'd like to see or things I'd like to see them improve or just other roles that I want to see them fill. Darnay Holmes out of UCLA he's going to legitimately run in the low 4.3s. He has absurd speed. Uh, some absurd playmaking ability has you know, had a rep against Marquise Brown where he picked him off ran stride for stride down tape and that Jesus stride for stride down the field uh, turned located the ball better than Brown did and picked it off ran a slant route for Nikhil Harry against Arizona State picked it off for a pick six uh, so has some high level. Awesome low level Dylan Mitchell out of Oregon just murdered him in that matchup uh, on some double moves down the field. He looked
1: lost. So everybody, everybody in college football gets holes double on double moves. moves,
2: but he just looked lost uh, in other routes as well throughout that game. So he cleaned that up, but he's a high level athlete. Has like I said, the high level plays on tape uh, could be if he just you know. Uh, works on some things, gets there, could be a first rounder. And a name I want to throw out: Jeff Gladney out of TCU, one of our highest graded corners. Uh, very thin at the moment. I think he's like looks like he's six one or so, but looks about one seventy. Very thin. Uh, gets manhandled by some bigger receivers, but uh, has the length and has great feel uh, for zone coverage. And I love his balance for a taller cornerback. A lot of tall cornerbacks, uh, you know, need to be impressed and need to. Uh, basically need a limited route tree. Yeah. They need that sort of silo uh, to be able to guard. I think he could move to the slot even with how good his feet are and how good his balance is. So Jeff Gladney, I do expect a big year out of him. TCU cornerback and also Javaris Davis out of Auburn. He actually played uh, the slot role for them a lot. Last year was their nickel corner and now he's moving to the outside. So that's a big thing for him. Greater earlier than well in the slot. Liked what I saw there. Now can he hold up on the outside undersized?
1: Uh, but if he can, he'll be moving up boards. The pipeline that some of these college programs have, just being able to produce a draft pick after draft pick after draft pick at specific positions, is kind of incredible. Yeah. The fact that it didn't
2: say Ohio State corner. That's that's what I was going to ask. who's uh,
1: Who's the Ohio State corner that that we're looking at now because they have one every year. Uh,
2: I don't uh, – gosh, I should know this off the top of my head, but I haven't uh, – none of them have graded out yeah, yeah. for us, unfortunately.
1: So, yeah. But we've got an Alabama defensive back. We've got a – Stanford every year seem to somehow produce a defensive back that mm-hmm. gets drafted. Um, Auburn, Clemson, we've – like every single one of these schools seems to be producing at least one – Yeah, I mean, the Blue Blood SEC
2: – like you get every single basically level of their defenses. Usually, at least have one top three round prospect. It seems.
1: Yeah, like this idea of the SEC being you know head and bo- head and shoulders above everybody else is not didn't come from nowhere. It's not the yeah, it's
2: not rooted in uh yeah, you know just entire bias. fallacy. Yeah, it is. There is a reason why. But that's it. That's the cornerback class. I think it's a fairly solid class to be honest. I, I think it's better. Uh, not going to say necessarily better at the moment than it was last year, but I think the fact that Bryce Hall came back, yeah. Christian Fulton came back—if uh, those guys would have left, this past year's class would have been better. I think we'll see a better class in 2020 than we saw in 2019 at the cornerback position. It was f- it was somewhat weak. It was just limited skill sets this past season. So I think we'll see a few, a bunch more first rounders uh, in 2020.
1: Guys coming back in college is always interesting at corner because it is such a high variance position. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean. That these guys are going to either have the same season, a better season. You know, you could easily time it badly, have a bad season mm-hmm. the next year, and suddenly your draft stock went to hell. And
2: that's the thing; it's like a f- four or five bad routes, and sh- right, like that's you're all of a sudden you get labeled, uh, you know, guy who bites on double moves. Like if you were, that.
1: yeah, if you were making the sort of um, if you were just making that decision based on um, positions, I think corner would be one of the positions that if you should. The second you have a good season and your stock looks high, jump. Although I will NFL.
2: say the funny thing about Bryce Hall and why I, and I just can't—I just remembered it. Why I think maybe he returned is he dropped uh, the most interceptions of anyone else in the country right, last year. I've heard that by like three. Also, he just had a ton of dropped interceptions, yeah. and so I think he's thinking, "I get, I catch those passes. Eight, All of a sudden, my number looks better picks next year." Even if that's not necessarily how NFL evaluators really care, but he I had a ton one, of. I think picks. the thing is,
1: a lot of them do. If yeah, he might. comes back next year, he gets eight picks. Yeah. So he's a him. ball hawk stud. He goes in the top five. I think that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. And the other, the flip side of it is, like, there are people out there that will ding you for the dropped interceptions. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever about the guys that just look at the eight interceptions and think, wow, what a playmaker. Um, there are other guys that are going to be like, you dropped three, that guy sucks. He can't <laughs> finish the play. I don't want that guy. I want the guy that's going to make the yeah. turnovers. True. Um, So yeah, that probably is a smart move um, on his basis. But yeah, cornerback is one spot where the second I had a really good year, I would not be risking not having a good year the next year because you know stuff kind of outside of your control. Corner more than most positions can can really make you look a lot worse. Sadly, though, Virginia does not play
2: Clemson this upcoming season unless obviously championship game. But that's. It's terrible. T. Higgins, Justin Ross would have been a great matchup. Unfortunate.
1: Shame. Shame, Michael. Um, All right, that's going to do it for us. I don't know how long is Steve out of the building for?
2: I don't even know. I didn't even realize he was going to be out of the building today. So that tells you how much
1: I paid I knew he was gone today, but I have no idea when he's back. So anyway, at some point, we will hopefully have another podcast later mm-hmm. in the week. It may or may not feature Mike. I have no earthly idea how long Steve is on vacation. I do know that he's driving his entire family like to Boston. So mm, that's probably going to be a while, though. Yeah. A, it's going to be a while. And B, he's probably not going to be in great spirits. When he get does get back and gets in the chair yeah because three kids in the back of a minivan driving across the country cannot be fun um, yeah so hope you hope you've enjoyed listening to this It's been Mike Renner and Sam Monson. we shall see you next week.